Welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is my good friend, Chris Crotwell, and he talks to me about his love of libraries. Uh, Chris comes to this from the awesome place of being a librarian, and more specifically, a librarian in um, a new program that Chicago public libraries are trying to uh, get really going off the ground for teens. Uh, Some of the things that he has to say about the program are absolutely incredible in terms of the resources that they have at their disposal and the kinds of things that they can make available for teens to keep them involved in libraries. Um, and and so, so much of this was really, really eye-opening for me where that is concerned. It was really cool, and I can't wait for everyone to listen to it. Uh, Chris is so smart and kind and such a lovely storyteller. He's a frequent contributor at the Nerdalogs Your Stories events. Um, his girlfriend has been on the show in the past, Shelby Mongan. And his uh, former roommate has been on the show in the past. The guy he moved up to Chicago with is Chris Geiger. So this guy is definitely a part of the MBSing family, even though this is, uh, it took me this long to get him on the show. <laughs> but I know that everyone will truly enjoy this as much as I did. Uh, we get into a lot of uh, young adult literature talk towards the end because that's kind of his specialty right now as a, uh, a teen services librarian and i love why lit so um i more than welcomed it uh so pick up a a YA book and read it because it's fun and it doesn't take long and so many of them are written really really well and uh like chris says it really i think helps you um reformat or remember how much uh, just chaos is going on in your life as a teen, um, and help you maybe relate to some younger people, uh, again, that you haven't thought about in a while. Cool. Speaking of your stories, or Chris being a frequent contributor, I should say, uh, the Nerdlogs have a Your Stories coming up this Sunday, the 18th at 7 p.m. at the Public House Theater. Our guests are uh, members of the House Theater Ensemble, thus the theme is House Rules, so check that out. Uh, We also have a show at the Midwinter Gaming Convention in Milwaukee this Friday night, Um, so if you're anywhere near Milwaukee, look that up and check it out. Um, I will not be there and don't know all the details, so I apologize for this half-hearted plug. But this Friday the 16th, there will be uh, your stories at the Midwinter Gaming Convention in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. On January 25th, the Nerdalogs will be opening for the improvised Star Trek at I.O. at 8.30. That run is going every Sunday night at 8.30 from now until sometime in March. Please check them out. They're so funny. As you may or may not know, I've had, I think, three members of that group on the show, and I just think the world of their podcast and their live show, and you do not have to be a Star Trek fan to enjoy it. Trust me, I don't know anything about Star Trek. Um, Come check that out. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, 
let's see. Thursdays at 10, I'm helping with a show at Comedy Sports called Pardon the Improvisation. If you like sports and or improvisation, I can almost guarantee you will like this show. Past guest Joe Gennaro is one of the hosts along with Brian Hooley, and it's going to be a ton of fun. That also runs for the next eight or so weeks. Guys, got details down pat today. Uh, Finally, but certainly not least, for the next three Fridays, that's the 16th, 23rd, and 30th, Squall will have shows at the playground at 10 p.m. We're playing with college teams. It's been so much fun thus far to see some young talent coming up and uh, playing in a mashup set at the end with those guys has been just great. So if you're looking for something to do late on a Friday for cheap that you can, uh, bring booze to if you'd like and laugh during it, look no further. Uh, I think that's it. Um, I, special thanks here at the end to everyone over the past um, few months and weeks who has taken the time to either send me a message or pull me aside if I see you at one of the comedy theaters in this lovely city or anything to tell me how much the show means to them because you guys have no idea how much that means to me. It's really, I know I've said things like this before, but it certainly bears repeating that it's easy to have this feel like I'm doing it into a vacuum or have it feel like, uh, it's, it's just a stress on my schedule that I was foolish to take on, but, um, things like that. And I mean, honestly, the recordings themselves, every single one of them always, always, always help me remember, um, that this is something that I really love to do. And the fact that other people get enjoyment and, uh, company out of it is is so heartwarming for me so thank you so much for um those kinds of messages keep them coming if you feel it uh if you feel so inclined and uh continue to enjoy listening to mbsing because i know i'm gonna continue to enjoy producing it um thank you guys so much and enjoy the lovely chris crotwell you just started like being a librarian, librarian relatively recently, right? Well, I started as a, a page last year because right. I just wanted my foot in the door. Yeah. So I took the like ten dollars an hour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do what you have to do to already be working for the city. Oh, sure, job. sure, sure. But that's so fun to just be like, well, this is a thing I love doing and a thing I like. Why would I not make this yeah, like my job? Went, I just went ahead and started doing it. It was funny because when I showed up at the first job uh, in Boys Town at Merlot mm-hmm. uh, to be a page, my branch manager asked me, She's like, well, what have you done? And I was like, well, I have my master's in library science. She's like, well, why are you shelving books then? And I was like, because this is the first bid that I saw come out. And I was just ready to get started. Wow. Uh, so I, I was committed to six months of doing that because you can't apply for anything else. That's crazy. Just like right out of the gate, regardless of what you're... Yeah, and I'm really happy about it because eventually when I'm, you know, a branch manager uh-huh. or maybe commissioner, uh-huh. <laughs> that's a little ambitious probably, hey. but conceivably, <laughs> I'm in it for the long haul and... Uh, I, I will be able to say, I have done it all. 
That's great. I started at the literal, there is not a lower position than library page. That's so funny, especially to be someone. Um, I mean, I feel, it feels weird jumping right into it, but I know we have so much fun to talk about and that we were already starting to talk about it. So I was just like, we should just start recording. Um, my guest today is Chris Crotwell. Uh, he's going to be talking to me about his love of libraries um, and he is, if you haven't already picked up on the fact, a librarian. Yes, I'm a, currently a teen librarian that in, is so great. in Bronzeville so, on uh, 48th Michigan. Nice. So not too far down there. Do, where do you live now? Rogers Park. So it takes oh. about... Yeah, I know. Yeah. I ride the whole red line every day. I am the king of the red line. Chris, that's so funny. When I when I get on the train, it's all students and old hippies. Uh-huh. And when I get off the train, I'm the only white dude left. That is so funny. Yeah, you really do see the entire cross section you of the can, city. If you ride the entire red line every morning, you can watch demographics change in front Absolutely. of your very eyes. You like see people getting on in like Yuppiesville, of like Lincoln Park, like the North and Clyburn stop is probably like. Super well dressed young professionals. <laughs> and then, right in the middle of the city, most days, uh, just like that, you just run into this weird glut of tourists, depending on what time mm. of year it is. Sure, sure, sure. Who else is hopping off and on the train at Lake all day? Right, right. Fucking people tourists. going to do stuff. Yeah, Nobody, that's people so who are funny. at work are at work, and uh-huh. I commute in the middle of the day. Right. That's so funny, man. But it's it also is very telling that that is your commute because one of the other things you uh, thought to talk about was podcasts, and I'm sure you yeah. just screamed through oh podcasts. I, I, five days a week, I make that ride, and if it weren't for my headphone friends, I'd lose my mind. That's how I got into them, man. Yeah. Was it was my job, though. Mm-hmm. It was and my commute. Honestly, I had a long commute. And I could listen to stuff while I was at work, and I just like ran out of music, and music like just like wasn't enough for like like you said. I like needed company. An hour and ten minutes, I can't handle it, and yeah. I can't listen to people on the train. Oh, because it's... And there, nothing will kill you faster than inane train <laughs> conversation. It's Absolutely. miserable. Absolutely, and music will just. I can't sleep for my. Two hours a day of just napping on uh-huh. the way to and from work is too much napping. <laughs> I used to, uh, when I first started working in Chicago, and my job was like in almost, it was an hour and a half to two hours each way because I worked in a far suburb, but I got paid well and it was my first job out of college, so I just like sacked up. Um, but that commute, I would... The, the metro ride itself was almost an hour, and I would almost always sleep both ways from yeah, city to... I can. Um, yeah. Roommates and friends, so many people have told me that that's wildly inadvisable. Really? Like, unsafe for some reason. Yeah, sure. Whatever. No one's going to bother me on the train. And yeah. If they do, they would have anyway, I right. feel like. And I, not long after getting to the city, I realized that I could fall asleep as soon as I got on the train and wake up right when I got where I was going. I only overslept my stop maybe three or four times over the course of a year and a half when I did that every day. I feel like that's a pretty good track record. I also usually rode with another friend of mine who commuted from the city, so between the two of us, we'd like 
you yeah. know, had me to the fact. Get up. We got it. It's work time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it was like, I was already kind of starting to do comedy. Uh, so it was just one of those things where like, I had to get up and leave my house at like six, six thirty. And if I stayed out at a show until, you know, 11, 11.30 the night before, that's there's not enough hours in there to get a full night's sleep. No, no. <laughs> and um, luckily, uh, work right now, you know, makes for a nice, a nice sleep schedule. Nice. Good. And the hour ride home is really um, pleasant, actually, because I need that time to decompress. Mm-hmm. I spend my entire day with Bronzeville teenagers. <sighs> And, um, teenagers are horrible people. We know that. Also, it's just like they're in the hardest part of their life. In the hardest part of their life, in in a really difficult part of the city. Yeah. Um, and like demographically, it's mostly, uh, you know, really low SES. Like kids in a tough spot, Mm -hmm. by and large. Uh, and, that makes them incredibly fascinating. I'm sure. Uh, and often very, very difficult. I'm sure it's absolutely like a labor of love. And they're good kids. They're smart kids. I'm sure. You know? yeah. um, they're just, they're on the razor's edge yeah. of wasting that completely. But that's of where course. almost all teenagers are, really. That's really true. And most of what, you know, makes that jump one way or the other is circumstance, I think. Um, so, uh, I love that. That's so interesting. I definitely want to talk about it more. Um, let's get into the origin of your love for libraries. Well, I mean, I started, uh, I, the first chapter book I ever read was Balto. Yeah. You remember that? Absolutely. Yeah. I read Balto. Balto. Yeah, that dog brought those people medicine. <laughs> it, it meant a lot to them. <laughs> I definitely read. I love growing up. I loved few things more than dogs and wolves. So like Balto was my dog book. Big Red, all the Big Red books. You know, Uh, pretty much any book about dogs. My uh, mom called me recently, and they're moving. They're sorting all my old. Where are they moving to? They still live in Alabama. Well, they 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 uh, they live in South Carolina. They've. Oh. Bought a fifth wheel and a truck. My dad's retirement's coming up, so they're going to pack all their crap into a fifth wheel and drive around until they find somewhere they like and live there. Are you kidding me? I'm really proud of them. That sounds amazing. It's a very bold thing for two really, to be perfectly honest, fairly boring boring old white people. Oh my god. That is so interesting. It's really funny. My Um, parents are about to hit that point of like, my dad recently uh, didn't retire, but just got laid off. So they're kind of at a point of being like freer to make a decision to move than mm -hmm. they've been in about a decade. So they're also becoming like two older middle-aged white people who might be making a big transition for themselves. Yeah, and I, I love that because I wish every big transition I'd had to do, I could do with, you know, almost 60 years of experience yeah. on my back. Yeah. I would have made better decisions. Where did they live in South Carolina? Greenville. Oh, I think you've t- you have to have told me about uh, that before. I, you know, I, I, every I totally time I visit, I ride forgot past, that. I ride past, right. uh, I ride past your old Furman. alma mater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally forgot talking to you about that. Yeah. That is so fun. Um, yeah, because it, it's such a good city. I remember talking to you about this. Yeah, city, so. I like Greenville. I think it's really, really great if you're between like 35 and 50. It would yeah. be horrible for people our age. Yeah. 
Uh. I mean, it's either like, I mean, as a college town, you have to drive a decent amount to get to downtown anyway. So there was way more like quote unquote nightlife on campus than there ever was downtown in Greenville. Oh, sure. I, I have to go home for uh, New Year's every year because I was always working retail and it's just oh, easier not to do Christmas and to do New Year's. That makes Year's. sense. And me and my brother would just look every year for yeah. something to do mm-hmm. and there's not. And I mean, we can't, I can't just show up at a house party. Yeah. Once I got, once I got to like bar drinking age, I found that that got old really quickly because you just go to like the same three bars every time you went out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like Tuscaloosa. When I moved here, it became really overwhelming, but, um. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah, that, you know, my mom, we did Hooked on Phonics. Mm-hmm. And, uh. I started reading a lot of chapter books really early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when was, do you think you read Balto? Gosh, I must have been in in first or second grade. That's awesome. You know, and then I was reading, uh, and my brother's ten years older than me, so I was oh. essentially I was essentially an only child from sure from seven forward. Yeah. Uh, and I was reading a lot. We lived on three acres, lots of trees, and I would just climb trees and read books. That's pretty much all that I did. Of course you did. <laughs> and I was reading way too many books for my parents to be able to stomach the cost of actually... If you look at what the cost would be for an average family for 10, 15 children's books a week, uh-huh. it gets astronomical. That's crazy. Really I mean, you're talking way. about, what, like seven bucks a piece? Yeah, and so they, you know, seven when we or eight to, bucks? You're talking about like a hundred dollars a week on books? Yeah. When we went to Books a Million, I would, you know, I would bring a stack, and Mom was like, we can't do this. Can't, so we got a, all these. <laughs> a North Shelby County Alabama <laughs> library card. <laughs> That's so great. And so we would go once a week and just bring home a big stack, and that that took care of it. That's amazing. And then, you know, in my adolescence, you sort of fall out of love with that context, like the library context. Sure. Which is a lot of what I have to fight against in the job I'm uh, in now. Oh, yeah. This is a brand new program we're doing. Cool. Uh, U Media and all the teen expansion. Teen services in Chicago Public Library System has only existed uh, really... For just under a year, and only for about six months in full. So we're a brand new... Jeez. We're a completely brand new thing that they're doing, because that's a demographic that's really important. And I was going to say, but how important is that? We lost them. Yeah. We completely lost adolescents, and one of the reasons we lost them is they weren't comfortable, because they were made to feel uncomfortable. By staff and by the rest of the public, teenagers uh, don't feel welcome anyway. Yeah, it's be- yeah. No one trusts a teenager. I yeah. mean, like it's it's such a um, chicken and egg thing, you know. It's like is our teenagers like do they are they reacting to people not trusting them or are people you know are, or is the mistrust reacting to how teenagers? Are, it, you know what I mean. It is definitely the way it is with everything. Both, uh, yeah. It's both. Yeah. It's just both. Because they're... They are difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do push back a lot. hmm But also, people know to expect that from them. And that adversarial attitude right. brings out the worst. Yeah. I just feel like... 
I feel like, especially with teenagers, it's a, like, they're just a, a demographic where you have to give them the benefit of the doubt for, like, as long as you can. You know what I mean? Not necessarily giving them, like, you know, all the slack in the rope or anything, but I feel like if you show... It's like you said, like, they don't get... They're immediately treated poorly in most situations. Almost anywhere. There's nowhere for them... There's nowhere for them to go. Yeah. One of the great things about the library... uh, any library system, and especially somewhere like Chicago, it's all about the big tent. Mm-hmm. It is a space for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know? It's not just a place where homeless people masturbate. Like, <laughs> it, it is a place where that happens. But Mind it's not, you, that does happen. Does, uh, trust me, I know better <laughs> oh, than anyone. God. It happens a lot, but it's, oh, it's, not, no. it's not just that. On the know? computers? Oh yeah, I mean that's why Ooh. that's why we have screen protectors on all the screens. And, no, and it's, it's, a, it's a First Amendment issue. They are they are allowed to watch whatever wow. whatever oh, so they is have possible like, to consume. I've seen people use those on the train or, or planes. The polarized, polarized yeah, where you like, can't see it from the. That is yeah. good, honestly, because like. Not even for the person who's using it. It's good for the people who are. Oh, it's not for them. them. Yeah. they have no shame. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Screen protector, no screen protector. When the screen protectors break, they don't stop watching pornography. Oh, God. Uh, you know, so it's really more for... Anyone else. <laughs> the, the rest of the public. And that's, you know, and that's... That's that's fine. Uh, a lot of what the library system does really well is provide a space for the least of these. Yeah. And there's not that... That space doesn't exist anywhere else in the city. Didn't they recently, like last week... All the libraries were open 24 hours? Well, no, we, we, um, on any day that the schools, like, CPS closes, or any day that it's so cold that people will get days off work or schools will close, uh, we're warming centers, so we never close. Gotcha. We maintain regular hours. We're warming centers. So it's not necessarily 24 hours, just never close. We don't, we maintain regular hours. Good. Always to make sure that people have a place that's at least warm and, and, uh, and welcoming. you know... Eight and five or whatever. And eight and eight. You know, we have we have eighty branches in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. It covers every single neighborhood. Really, Chicago probably has some of the most well-read uh, indigent people really? in the country. That's awesome. You spend eight hours a day in a library. Yeah. What, gonna- are, you, what are you going to do? You only get two hours of computer use. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't know if there was a limit or not. People only get two hours. Huh. Um, just to make sure that everyone has an opportunity. To use it. And so that the computer terminals don't just turn into a weird... <laughs> like, like, eight hours someone a day. Can just glassy-eyed sack up at, stubble. you know, yeah. when they walk in and just... And then, you know, do whatever they will for all day. It's not That's not good. Yeah. Um, and, and not really what a library's main intent would exist I mean it's it's a it's weird we have to wear a lot of hats yeah we do everything that doesn't especially in the kind of era that we're in now I would think that's even more true oh yeah I mean it's it's cradle to grave that's what a library (laughs) should be for you cradle to grave Uh, our heaviest users 
are <laughs> that makes it sound like we're pushing something. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> the heavy, the, our most loyal patrons are small children and the elderly. That doesn't surprise me at all. And it was a lot of in between that we were really missing. And you said you feel like you kind of hit that point too when you were. A yeah, teenager. I think so because um, it just wasn't. I could get a hold of the books that I wanted other ways by and large by that point. Uh, like and really borrowing. just started, and really just started, you know, purchasing books with that disposable income that teenagers just have. <laughs> when you don't know that money means anything That's or like so will true. be important eventually. Yeah, yeah. And like, well, because teenagers have more money because they don't have to spend it on anything except whatever they want to spend it on. You know what I mean? They yeah. don't have to really spend money on food because they're pro. Like, and, and I'm talking about like. You know, middle America, like middle class teenagers. Mm-hmm. When I say this, I know there are ex- there are you know um, people who wouldn't be able to. There are people really struggling, right? You know, like I'm a white kid from Alabama who grew up in a middle class family, right? Money at that point in your life is just id fuel. Yeah, you just buy <laughs> fucking what do you want? CDs or books or or you know went to movies sometimes and, or like maybe went and bought a fucking cheeseburger at McDonald's or something. But like you didn't have to pay. You don't have to pay rent. You don't have to pay most of the time. You don't have to pay for your own food. Like it's it's such a weird part of your life where you do have money, but you don't necessarily have to spend it on things. No, you could, you know, whatever you want, Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, and that that group we need back. Yeah. Especially in communities where they don't have anywhere else to be. Mm-hmm. In Bronzeville where I am, there's just nowhere to go. Yeah. You're at home, but no one wants you anywhere else. Yeah. If there were even many places to be, and getting libraries used to having that population back is something that me and my cohort of brand new teen librarians are sort of training a lot of other crotchety adults how to do. That's so funny. So you were talking earlier about um, like business type days or meetings. When you is that the kind of thing you would have to do? Is like talk well, to people about your program when we when we do professional development? Uh, it's always training days. And we do them on everything. Conflict resolution. Cool. Uh, you know, you'll do four hours on conflict resolution so that you know how to make it a, a safe and healthy space for the kids. Uh-huh. I'm in charge of a Media expansion. And, and Media is a really interesting program because they're basically maker spaces and media labs that the city's invested in building for teens. Okay. So I have a vinyl cutter, which is a, a computer-controlled point that will cut anything... Uh, from a computer plan in two dimensions. So anything from cardstock to vinyl are called vinyl cutters because you can make uh, decals, like really elaborate. Cool, cool, decals. cool, cool. We have, I have a really nice uh, video camera, and I have a full size keyboard, and I have a laptop production keyboard, and I have a podcasting microphone, and I have, um, I have a DJ mixer. That and is so awesome. It's MacBook Pros with GarageBand and yeah. graphic design software. Of course those are the kinds of things that should be available to, like, creative teenagers. For teenagers. Of course they are. Yeah, and that's that's what we're trying to build. And, of course, that's the way to get them involved. Yeah, in I mean, I have a PlayStation 4. 
At work? a big screen TV. That's, that's incredible. That's mine. And I have a room that's mine with doors that close. So what teenagers really need is a lot of wiggle room. Yeah. And especially the ones that I work with don't have a lot of soft skills. Yeah. Uh, and that that's what ends up holding them back a lot. It's just a lack of they just of never even like soft skills. Sat they, at a computer for yeah. Very so long. <clears throat> it's all about providing them the resources. Yeah, and they are supposed to guide the programming. the The model is called Hamago. 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 Yeah, that's the jargony term we use for the spaces we're trying to make, and it's hanging around, messing up. Wait, um. Hanging out, messing around, geeking out. And those are the three levels of engagement. So hanging around is just being in the space, like using a laptop. Hanging out, messing around. Geeking out. Geeking out. That's so funny. And that's how we, when we talk about programming that we're doing, we talk about it on those three levels. So just open lab where people are playing PlayStation, using computers, or working on projects, or doing homework. That's just hanging out. And that's really low-level engagement. Uh-huh. We're not asking anything of these kids. Uh-huh. Messing like, around. These are here. You can use them if you yeah. want. Do, do yeah. you know. Messing around is when they get really interested in a piece of equipment or a piece of software and they ask sure. me about it or they start they start uh, pulling their friends over and they're all looking at it to try to figure something out they want yeah. to do. Yeah. You know, like somebody hops on iMovie mm-hmm. and they want to figure out how to edit Something. Yeah. They just really every teenager in 2015 wants a YouTube channel. Of course. Yeah. Jesus <laughs> that's, Christ. That's yeah. it. Yeah. You know? And so they really want to learn how to do things like edit video. And then, uh, you know, geeking out is when I do a program that's very specific. Yeah. That's very goal oriented. Yeah. Where this is how we, you produce a podcast. We get or... down to brass tacks about really making something. Yeah. And that is so cool. I had no idea that's yeah. what you were doing. Ideally, you do all those things at the same time. Yeah. Because what you want is for the kids that are just hanging out to see the engagement. Sure. And want to do that. Yeah. Because teenagers will do that. They yeah. will see someone who's gotten excited and they will be like, they will get that? excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, nothing's ideal. It doesn't work out sure. if you want it to all the time. But aren't there also some uh, libraries, doesn't Harold Washington have like a 3D printer that people can well, use? Well, now uh, Harold Washington has a U-Media. Their U-Media is incredible. They have yeah. a bunch of 3D printers. Um it's an, it's a beautiful space too. I recommend people just go by and check it out. I've I've seen I've been in the Harold Washington Library. Yeah. It's incredible. It's and huge. On the on the first floor, U Media is is a completely different sort of space than people would think about in terms of a what library. a library yeah. will provide. Uh, it's really hip, and the people that are work there are really hip, and and most of my most of the cohort of teen librarians they've hired are uh, just. Fantastically, I bet you work with some wonderful. They're people. really interesting, really weird. Yeah, of really, course. And we're all really young. That's so um, cool. And it, it's it's a lot of fun. But that 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 sort of library service is a lot of what we do now. We're not we're not warehouses. Yeah. for books, we have the ability to provide something that's super undefined. Mm-hmm. And that gray area lets us do so whatever great, people though, are interested in. And That's it, so great. In a municipality, you don't get a lot of that. I was going to say, I, I'm sure that Chicago's library system 
is probably not entirely representative of most of the countries just because it's a, you know, major city. Uh, but at the same time, what an exciting thing to hear for like the future of like, like I said, I feel like that's absolute like libraries and other places of their, you know, nature. I feel like have to be responding to how times are changing. You people, know I mean? people have been saying that my profession wouldn't exist for a decade. Yeah. And we've only become more important. And I've said over and over, like, a lot of what I do, I work in a library with not a lot of staff, so I do adult reference, and I do children's reference, mm-hmm. and I help anybody who's there with the time that I have mm-hmm. when I'm not tied down with programming. Sure. And... You have to be there for everyone, mm-hmm. and you have to grow. One of, the, one of the pilot programs we have coming out this year I'm super excited about, Chicago Public Library is starting a test program where we lend people Wi-Fi hotspots. Wow. To take home for a week. Cool. It's like really branching that digital divide. That's amazing. You know, if you're in a poor community and that's yeah. where we're starting all the programs, you come in. You'll be able to check out a Wi-Fi hotspot and just have internet in your home for free for that week. So instead of just using our computers, you you can have a lot of pride about what you're doing in your home and have access to all that. Yeah. Watch watch Netflix, please. Yeah. You know, white people get to. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) That's not fair. That's awesome. That's really awesome. It's neat. Uh, That's absolutely something that libraries should serve a purpose for, of bridging that gap. And people don't know. We have all these uh, databases that you can access from home. We have uh, access from home. We have all of these. You can watch every episode of Bill Nye, every episode of Bill Nye at home for free if you have a Chicago library card. Really? You You can download most magazines for your tablet. For free. My, you can just have all of your magazines there. That doesn't totally surprise me, even though I didn't know that was true. My dad, about a year or so ago, my dad is a, an incredibly avid re- reader. Um, he, like, there are so many authors that he reads, like, every single one of their books. And, like, prolific authors. Um, I mean, mostly... I, I made fun of him over Christmas, like, uh, you know, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, made fun of him, because he reads dad lit, you know, he reads, James like, Patterson, he reads, John Soule, Michael Crichton. Exactly. Yeah. He, uh, James Patterson was absolutely the first name I was going to say. He doesn't even write those anymore. Yeah. He's just, he's an editorial clearinghouse. No one, no one can write 15 books a year. <laughs> it's superhuman. He, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't even write them. Yeah. They're very popular. But my, my dad screams through all those, you're, you know, Patricia Cornwells and things like that. My dad is just super, super avid reader. So every time a new one of those comes out, he's like, puts he like goes on the wait list for the book before it's even been released. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at the library, he rarely ever even buys books. Um, uh, but and he uh, um, got I think a Nook um, and uh started using ebooks from the library mm-hmm. in Lancaster, South Carolina, which wasn't a very large catalog. And then at some point while he was visiting Chicago, he was like, wait a minute. So, wait, could I access your Chicago library account 
and you use all the ebooks in Chicago? And I was like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I'll tell you what, it's most of them. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you can, if a book came out, we have access to an electronic copy of it. He and audio. It all the time. You know, you can download audiobooks at home. You can watch TVs and movie at home. You don't have to come in anymore. I mean, we encourage you to. Yeah, sure, sure. But we offer, we offer all these services. Free homework help from kindergarten through the end of undergraduate. Really? That's amazing. Free paper editing. We have a service called BrainFuse where you can send in a paper, even if you're like a junior in college. They have professional academics and professors who will look at it, give you feedback, and help edit, and send it back to you. That's truly incredible. When we pay for that, brain people, don't, fuse, is that yeah, people don't know people don't know that all that's out there. Yeah, yeah, I would never, I'm sure there are so few people who know about the, all this stuff. Well, that's, that's, we're not, we haven't traditionally been great at marketing. Yeah. Because we're not in the private sector, so... Our users are our users. Yeah. You know, the people that and are it's coming. It's not necessarily, coming. you don't need it to, like, stay alive. But we're, we're getting better at things like that really quickly because I think what happened, uh, a lot of librarians were retiring. A lot of progressive, interesting, weird people around my age and older mm-hmm. didn't know what to do with themselves at the end of college. Sure. All got this graduate degree. That's it. I was just flooded, flooded libraries and realized that because there's no real defined mission, yeah, we could turn them into whatever we wanted. That's them to amazing. Be. And it's yeah. all tattoos and dyed hair. And uh, that's brilliant. I, I was just about to ask you what if like because we kind of talked about through you know your teen years of kind of getting out of using libraries because you were buying more books because you had expendable income and you were probably reading things that were like at the time you're like oh i have to own you know whatever chuck klosterman or something sure, like that that's, that's an assumption yeah, that's but, what, you know, but it, it's it's really exactly like that. i wanted right. every terry pratchett book exactly i wanted all of them right right you know and it's six dollars a pop how do you say no right especially when you're a teen and you do yeah. have you're not spending your money on anything else so uh bridge bridge that gap like t- what what did you do in undergraduate uh, well, I, have a, I have a double major in philosophy and religious studies okay and the plan was always, I mean, I didn't really have a plan, but what I told everyone was that I was going to go to law school. Really? That's what I told mom and dad. And I, <laughs> I sort of assumed that that was true. That's so funny. I, my, I had a very, very good friend in college named Brian who was on the improv team with me. Um, super funny guy, great writer, was a philosophy major, may have been a double major with something else. I can't remember. If it was something else... It was, like, English or something like mm-hmm. that. And then uh, he worked as a librarian in Greenville for a number of years after he graduated and then eventually started going back to school at um, through a program at an online program mm-hmm. for USC to get his um, master's in library science and just finished it. And I'm, like, so stoked for him. And I've been meaning to get in touch with him and be like, hey, man. Like, where are you going to go? Because I feel like you could go anywhere now. Like, you know, like, I know Greenville's a great city, but, like, you you know, you have how many years of being a librarian under your belt now? <laughs> any, any municipality of any size and merit whatsoever will have a substantial library system. Yeah. And 
And the things slowed down uh, during the recession a little bit, but mm-hmm. but that is it's still an older workforce most places. That People are going to retire. Oh, yeah. You'll all, find your feet. All of his coworkers for the longest time were middle-aged women. It was oh. like seven middle-aged women and one like male in his early 20s. Oh, the, the, it's so funny. At cluster meetings for teen services, uh, I'm one of a very few men. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's just these amazing, incredibly hip, interesting women. You know, That's lots of like awesome. really intense lesbians. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I, it's one of the only places where I've been sitting in a meeting and and thought, you know, I have a lot to say, but these are intimidating people. You know, I don't know that I I'm as cool. I don't know that I'm as cool as you these being in that are. situation. Yeah. Like, my, they're really, they're just. Very, uh, it's a very interesting group of folks. That is so funny. Um, So, you told people where you were going to go to law school. And I think you you say something enough, you just imagine that it's true. And Uh the only reason I was getting degrees in philosophy and religious studies is because when I showed up at college, uh, I wanted to learn about exactly and nothing more than what I wanted to learn about. Gotcha. You know? And yeah. that's what I was interested in. Yeah. Like, what is this all about? Figuring out what life never, was. Yeah. yeah. Never, I, that's I, so funny. I grew up in an a-religious household. Uh, I was a precocious little kid. I had lots of questions. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what? Before I do anything else, I'll just sort everything. That's great. And, uh... You know, that failed miserably. Yeah. You end up with way more questions than answers. And yeah, I was going to say, it's great, but I'm sure it didn't It didn't actually, like, really sort anything out. Oh, it just out. made everything way worse. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been... I'm just... I'm a horrible, undefined mess. My, I, I blame my degrees. My head's a sack of cats now. I hated philosophy by the time I was done with it. I was so done. And, uh... And then I realized I was about to graduate, uh, and law school would make me miserable, and yeah. being a lawyer would make I me miserable. I can't imagine you as a lawyer. I mean, I can in a lot of ways, in the like in the ways that you would probably be good at it. I can imagine it, but in the ways that it would like crush your beautiful, creative, like free spirited soul, I just can't imagine it. <laughs> no, I, I it, it would. It would be miserable. Yeah. One of my favorite things about what I do, and I always tell my dad this, and I think it's some part of it is just a needle him a little bit, but it's yeah. also very true. Uh-huh. I don't ever want to work for an organization again that makes money. Oh, wow. Libraries, just, it's an investment. Yeah. But that money's gone. Yeah. And, and the return is really intangible. Uh-huh. And there are ways to quantify it, and we're uh-huh. pushed to do it in today's oh, environment sure, yeah. so that we can justify ourselves. Sure. And we've, we've gotten really good at it, but at the end the of the day, it's, it's a question mark, um, and that's what makes it super valuable. And I like that, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. also, our priorities can flip immediately. In terms of because you're not because trying we're to not, make money. We don't need to make money, so if you're not, if your goal is not to be profitable, then... If the world changes, you can be whatever you need to be without worrying about that. Of course. Yeah. How beautiful in terms of freedom. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, and it's, you know, Chicago, 
it's an enormous system, and there's massive bureaucracy, and it's wildly frustrating. I'm sure. And, I'm and there sure, are a lot of people I'm who sure. should have retired. And, oh, God, and I'm sure, it, yeah. You know, and that'll... And are unwilling to change with all of these other... So yeah. as much as you can say, oh, it's so easy to change, it's not if... No, it's, <laughs> we're talking about turning the Titanic. We, yeah. We have thousands... <laughs> we have thousands of employees, uh-huh. and... Uh, and we're all union, which mm-hmm. is amazing. And I, is. I love, I love, you know, I love being a part of my union. It's uh-huh. very nice. Um, it's just a librarian's union? Oh, it's the it, the municipal workers. Okay, okay, uh, okay. The municipal workers. Who else would be, uh, like, uh, most 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 municipal employees who aren't very specific things. Um, so, really, a lot of the people you deal with... Around the city, who are working for the city of Chicago, would so all like be in CTA, my yeah, stuff a like lot that. of a lot of the a lot of the folks in the city. Cool, and, and it's nice, uh, but that also means you can't really get rid of people. People also don't really have to leave. Yeah, and pension the pension. We have a lot of unfunded pension liability in Illinois, yeah. and so we're all worried about not getting a retirement. We yeah. we don't get Social Security. Oh, because of... Because of the pension system. But we also might not get those pensions. Especially when we elect the motherfucker like Bruce Rauner. Who I obviously have very strong feelings about. He's he's coming for me, right? That's Um, so funny. I don't know if you listened to it, but when my, uh, my dear friend Bill Green did the podcast and talked about politics. It was days after Bruce Rauner had been he elected. He must have been angry. I'm he was sure. so yeah. like he was just like, man, Buffett, I haven't been that depressed in a long time. <laughs> so funny it really was. And, and he works for he's kind of in a similar situation mm-hmm. where he works for the united way so yeah. non-profit mm-hmm. it's all grant funded and his specific grant um is funded by the governor's office so he was just like Fuck. he's coming for you yeah, he's yeah. like you know i don't know if this is a man who made uh, billions of dollars, both managing our pensions, yeah, uh, and uh, along with our mayor, yeah. they're they're very close. Have been for a long time, and and also uh, running facilities notorious for abusing the elderly. Oh boy! Anyways, <laughs> anyway, that's not terribly important. Anyway, it, it is. It's difficult, to, but it becomes a part of this. Becomes a part of the conversation. I mean, it, and it's it's a part of the reality of of my work life. Sure. And, uh, it it gets hard to turn that boat because people don't want to give up their health care and and people are working longer than they should. Yeah. And it's not their fault, but they're also horrible because <laughs> because when you don't want to be somewhere yeah. and you're not passionate any longer. Yeah. You're impossible to work it with. It changes the tone of the space. Mm-hmm. And, and I know a lot of people in Chicago have had bad experiences at circulation desks and with branch managers and with customer service at libraries. And uh, I've spent every moment since I got there trying to be the most helpful, most pleasant... Of course you have. ...person that you'll ever run into in the context of someone working for the city. Because, right. Because that's where it starts. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's it's not their fault that they're beat up and worn out. Yeah. I mean, um, it's so... Everything you're saying, just I mean, I know we we steered away we uh, we steered away from the political conversation, but 
Man, I mean, that sounds like a really decent cross section of like the country at large. But really, is people people aren't comfortable and secure enough to be able to take the time for them and and move on with their lives. They're working much longer than they really should. And and they're also just like I, I like in the bigger picture, like. Older people not being willing to change because they've seen how the how things have gone so far and they know they have X amount of experience doing whatever it is. Younger people coming in knowing things need to change to be able to keep up with the tide of society. Like, it's just everything you're saying is just like, this is a cross-section. Yeah, and it, it, it's... it's um, you know what? It's miserable for both of us. Oh, of because course it is. I'm ready... Yeah. And I've been excited for a while. Yeah. And I'm, I'm ready to do all of these things. And administration is ready. They're yeah. generally... We have a very young, hip administration. Good. Uh, Brian Bannon, the commissioner, is has to be one of the most wildly handsome and well-dressed men in the city <laughs> of Chicago. I swear, if you ran into this guy on the street, uh, he's, he's incredibly charming... So uh, he he's literally the commissioner of like all of Chicago's he libraries. Is, he's our he's the captain of the ship. That's so great. You know, the he's the, the one trying to turn the Titanic. And I really like him. <laughs> I really like him too. And and he. It's kind of amazing to me that you've like have you met him a Do lot you know him personally. Yeah, that's a lot. kind of amazing. He, I mean, he he shows up. Well, Teen Services because it's a a new a new in, initiative. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he makes himself visible a lot, though. Mm-hmm. Like, we have All Staff Institution Day, where every employee of the entire library system comes to Harold Washington that day, uh. and he speaks. But also, a lot of uh, a lot of the time when they're having meetings and things, he will just stand around in the morning and drink coffee and say hi to people and and talk. Just like be a presence, but yeah, not he's, he's he's very leader. personable. He's a very personable person. That's um, awesome. And I. I like him, and I, I think that he has a lot of good ideas, but those good ideas can so easily get bogged down in something as enormous. Sure. We're talking about a huge bureaucracy, but, you know, we're making enormous strides, and <clears throat> U-Media has expanded into you know, going on, coming up in the next year or so, if we have a couple more expansions... We're looking at over a dozen locations. That's awesome. We'll be all over the city. And they're building brand new facilities in regionals like Sulzer and the new Chinatown branch and Woodson cool. on 95th. And, um, That's great. It is. It's really exciting. And we got these amazing robots in last year called Finches. Finches? Yeah. They, they look like little translucent plastic manta rays with two little wheels and a bunch of sensors on the front. That sounds awesome. And you can check them out. From the library. If your branch doesn't have some, you can put them on hold. We'll ship them out to you, and you can pick them up at your branch. And you decide what programming language you want to learn, and you download the specific service pack for the robot related to that programming oh language. Oh, my God. And then you program the robot using that, and it teaches you how... Uh, with basic robot, basic goals of moving the robot line and programming languages, and that stuff is um, that stuff is really neat. And That's it's, absolutely it's, incredible. It's fun to it's fun to be a part of. And looking forward, you know, I think things will only get better. 
But we have to keep in mind that traditional services are really, really important. Still have to be yeah, like reference. Yeah, yeah. Reference right now, the, one of the things we've done the best for a long time is reference services for immigrants. Like the recently immigrated people in the United to, States, like, learn. people in the United States really take public libraries for granted. But this is not something you run into everywhere, and especially a lot of the poorer communities immigrating to the United States have never seen anything like this before. Wow! And when you can imagine. Showing up and realizing that there is a place where you can go to get free computer usage and free literature. Yeah. And there's a person at a desk you can ask any question. And I, like, for better or worse, any question. (laughs) You you come to references, you can ask us whatever My friend Brian has some... Just, you know, some, like, from hilarious to gruesome stories about it's things that people have asked things him. people yeah. ask. How many conversations in the last year I've had about ghosts? <laughs> and, and, and it's not their fault. We have to sort of train patrons how to ask reference questions. Mm-hmm. Because people don't know how to ask questions. Yeah. And they're, they're not always... That's one of the hardest uh, parts of research. Like, I feel like I've, I heard that coming up in school of like you know research isn't always about what the information you're trying to find it's about asking the right questions to find said information yeah because somebody will just come up and be like all right i need to know about ghosts (laughs) or like are ghosts real and be like i don't know what information to give you I I couldn't in a million years come up with a list of ten books that satisfy such a vague right. query. Yeah. What the hell are you asking me yeah. about? That's and when so you when, when you push them to clarify, more often than not, people will get a little antsy or you know, people get upset really easily. Like, I want to give you the best help that I can, but first you have to help me. Of course. Because That's right so now funny. I have no idea what's happening. That's so funny. <laughs> and because because the library is such a big tent operation. Uh, the people that use reference services the most mm-hmm. are a, a portion of the city's population that aren't mentally the most together or stable mm-hmm. group mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're that completely, so, they're just insane people. That seems so like, isn't that kind of ironic though? Like that the people who use this like brilliant like necessary service the most are the ones who are like the most unhinged they're completely nuts (laughs) i I get i i i get a call at least once a day when i'm at the circulation (laughs) desk which means this lady must call the library four or five times a day every day and all she wants you to do is is find out what year a very specific doctor Got their certifications in different, uh, like internal medicine or Whoa. in dermatology, and it's always a different. So she's doctor. basically she's using the circulation desk as Google for these doctors. Yeah, well, yeah. she doesn't she doesn't have a computer at home, right? And um, mm-hmm. and apparently she's been doing it for like a decade. So she well, hasn't found a doctor she's happy with yet because God. she's insane, right? And probably sort of awful. <laughs> no. And I feel for her because she. She's very polite on the phone. There's a lady that used to call, and we called her the teacher says lady, and she would pick up the phone, and she said, teacher says some insane thing, 
Or, like, teacher said this, and then she'd ask you questions. Like, she called up and asked me, like, how much rain is Chicago supposed to have before winter? Jesus That's not a question. What, the, what do you want me to tell you? That's nuts. Not only would a meteorologist probably not be able to answer that question, but, like... <laughs> that, that's just a lot of them. Just ridiculous. a lot of them just aren't questions. Yeah. But but, um, public service is a lot about knowing how to laugh and smile and be kind to everyone that you talk to. That doesn't surprise because this me at all. this lady's life. I don't know what it's like. Yeah. And oh. and nothing oh. is going to be made any better by me being anything other than incredibly nice. Again, sir, this is a cross-section of our country. Like, the fact that you realize that you have to... You have to do the best you can because you have no concept of what that person's life is. Is like... that's I, To me, that's becoming like the new golden rule. In my life... That is becoming the new golden rule where it's like, I, I think, you know, what is it? Do unto others as you would have mm-hmm. them do unto you. Uh, that's all well and good. But like, that doesn't really take into account like other people's life experiences. Like, I know, I, like, I think that that boils it down to as simple as it could be. But at the same time, it's like. Obviously, if someone's mistreating you, or not ne- not even necessarily mistreating you, but if someone's just being real crazy, <laughs> what can you do but respond with kindness and an attempt to help them? Because <laughs> you have no concept of where this craziness comes from. Yeah, and a lot of people come in and they're just really hostile for reasons that I can't possibly understand. Yeah. Empathy and compassion are what we don't have nearly enough of in public life anymore. Absolutely. And and a lot of the cultures that have been on the rise for the last 20 years have really glamorized being a dismissive asshole. Yeah. And that doesn't do anyone any good. (sighs) No? Politeness politeness is super underrated. Yeah. It's underrated and I think... One of the reasons it is underrated is because people dismiss how hard it can be to, I mean, like, because if you're being faced with someone asking you, like, calling a circulation desk five times a day to ask when Dr., you know, uh, Kleppner got certified in ophthalmology or whatever it is. If you, if that's the fourth time that person has called for that kind of question, of course, by the fourth time, it's going to be hard to continue to answer it. Oh, you just want to hang up. Yeah, of course. But, but you, but you don't. And, and it's nice. But, it, and the book. I can't be responsible for how rude anyone is to me, but yep. the only thing, the buck stops with me. Negativity, I can be a heat sink for that. You just soak it up. And if you don't feed it back to anybody, it dies in you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, then a little bit of it's dead. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, you know I feel the same way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it is. And it, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy on the train to not yell at somebody. It's not easy. Especially with some of these kids. 
But they just, they're just throwing shade so hard. And no one, <laughs> no one knows how to poke at the parts of you you don't like, like someone who's 14. Yes. Yes. They will say things that fuck you up. Oh, no. You know? Yeah. And. I mean, I still remember mean things that kids said to me when I was growing up. I feel like everyone does, you yeah. know? It's like, I, it's, it's true. Like, because it's one of those things where, like, you hear this often, I think, of, like, young people don't realize how little everyone else really is picking them apart because everyone else is really fucking terrified of their own mm-hmm. like existence <laughs> and i think that's that is absolutely why yeah i mean i'm so able i'm to- a 29 year old man <laughs> when i started this job about a month in I just was exhausted, and I couldn't put my finger on it, and then I realized if no one... People are impolite out in public. People can just be sort of indiscriminate dicks, yeah. you know? Yeah. But nobody's mean to you. Like, how often a week, for most adult people, is someone mean really specifically... Very rarely. And incisively yeah. at you. Incredibly rarely. And I realized, I was like, man. Maybe like a rude been, brush past or yeah, something like that. Nobody had been mean to me in Nothing like a pointed, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh man, that's what it is. That's I don't know. So I'm not adjusted to this. I yeah. have no idea what it's like. Yeah. Um, that's but, so you know, I think public service can improve and we're, we're moving. That's the most important yeah. thing. And... It's it's a space in the city where we can, you know, do a lot to help push things forward a little bit. But you're chipping in a mountain, and that yeah. that gets disheartening too. I'm sure the systemic inequality that exists in Chicago is Ugh. so unbelievably disheartening. I can't imagine, man. And there's, I absolutely can't imagine. There's so little political will to do anything about it yeah. that no matter what we do, I, I feel like I'm putting. A band-aid on a bayonet wound. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like, well, you're, you know, uh, (sighs) you just have to believe that you're doing good work. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you have to believe that that soldier with the wound is looking up and going, well, at least somebody's trying. (laughs) At least somebody's, and I think. I'm still probably going to bleed out, but. (laughs) Yeah, people feeling like somebody cares, um. And the library is one of those examples where we give you everything for free. We don't add, we ask very, very little of you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in society now, especially in terms of government services, it's very hard to feel like you're not being asked for your pound of flesh. Whether it's true or not, yeah. that's the perception people have. Sure. But the library, it's free. It's yeah. just free. Like everything, we don't need anything from you. Mm-hmm. You know, we will we'll, we'll give till it hurts, mm-hmm. uh, and that's fantastic. It's a nice thing. Uh, it's just a nice thing to be a part of. How much money 
Do you think libraries make from overdue fees? No, it does not. It's even, probably it's like a piss in a bucket, it right? It doesn't even. Uh, it's yeah. It's just. Um, it's one of those things tears, where it's like it's, it's tears in a bucket. <laughs> it's just tears in a bucket. It makes no difference. It's one of those things where it's like why? It's almost like there has to be some sort of penalty, obviously. Yeah, because people can't just run off with all our materials, right? But at the same time, it's like. <sighs> <laughs> you might as well just be like, you have to bring in a handful of jelly beans if you don't return a book on time. As long as it's something that's inconvenient enough yeah. that the incentive would work, right. I think it would be more or less the same. Because that money right. is not is right. not covering the cost. Uh, um, a lot of the city doesn't even pay for all of what we do. My program is grant funded. Wow. And that uh, doesn't really The Chicago me. Library Foundation raises lots of money from that, private sources to yeah. do a lot of what we do. That's interesting that it's that it's not private sector but there's still a decent amount of There's a there's a lot of money flowing in that's not people's that that's not tax dollars. Interesting. That helps keep the ship afloat. That doesn't surprise me because as we were talking about it and you know the state of libraries and the the changing state of of libraries I was kind of thinking to myself, like, there can't be that much governmental money that's uh, uh, budgeted for libraries. It, it, uh, you know, it's a substantial amount, but it doesn't it doesn't cover the basis for what we need to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it and would it certainly be, wouldn't cover something like what you're no, doing. And it would be fine for bare bones circulation of mm-hmm. prep materials. Mm-hmm. You know, which is certainly the reason we originally existed and a very noble goal that's right. not to be sure. disregarded. But sure. there are things we can do that I feel like we, because they're possible, we need to do them. Mm-hmm. And that that's that's a chunk of change that's going to have to come from somebody else. Yeah. You know, like uh, MacArthur Foundation yeah. uh, helps out a lot with you media. That doesn't surprise me. You know, they're, I mean, they do great work all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're one of the places that we get a little bit of extra money, which is nice. Yeah. And we still do books. Like just last week we had mock Prince Awards for young adult literature. And where we all you read ten YA books that the library that uh, a panel has decided. So the is the Prince Award like uh the like um, like the Caldecott or the Newberry. That's what I thought. Adult. But for young adult, that's what yeah. I thought. That's what I thought. I just wanted to clarify yeah. for my sake and yeah. The and there's it's it's a great award. Normally, the books that are considered are really worth your time. I'm to sure. Take a look at. Uh, so you did mock ones. Yeah, you we, all we read, read ten. Books. We read ten. Then you go in for a professional development day. You sit down at a table with eight other lovely people and you spend five hours doing nothing but really talking critically about all this young adult literature. Oh, that sounds amazing. It's the, I, you know, I get paid to, I got paid to do that. That sounds truly amazing. You know, that, I love YA books. That recharges your batteries. Oh, I'll tell you I what. bet, man. You know, you talk about books for five hours, you get paid to do it. At the end of the day, you vote and then it gets released on the website. If people want to see the books that uh, I'm definitely gonna that look one it up. that we considered, you can find them online. The the book that won, Gabby, A Girl in Pieces, mm-hmm. um, is beautiful. And I'm I'm not a girl in high school. Yeah, but it's one of those books, and especially listening to a lot of really, really intelligent, really uh, passionate and empathetic. 
and progressive women talk about what it meant to them as adults oh. to read this book. Yeah. I think everyone should read it. One of the one of the people in my discussion group who's just an absolutely uh, lovely person and just a, a beautiful uh, woman, she said, I wish someone had handed this to me when I was 14 to mm. 17, and I think everyone should read it. And it's the story of... It's a story about... Um, a Mexican-American teenager, and it really gets down to brass tacks about a lot of issues that are really, really a part of what that experience is. Mm-hmm. Culturally, for her, as as Mexican-American person and as a young woman, mm-hmm. and it's beautifully done, and there's a zine in the middle of it that oh, she's written. Awesome! Yeah. Um, it's really great. And why literature has gotten so bold and so expansive yeah. and so... Uh, really heartfelt. It can pull in a lot of the sweetness and emotion that borders on trite that children's literature can still have that, mm-hmm. that people disregard in the adult book world. I mean, that's how I feel about John Green's books that I've read thus so, far. It just they're willing to be vulnerable, yeah. in a way that adult books are too cynical or jaded yes. to be willing to do. But they still. Um, treat he does such a good job of treating young characters with respect. You know, they're intelligent and and they're going through all these really hard things. Like, I mean, the two that I've read are both about like tragedy. You know, well, sure, that's that's something that happens during every young person's life, right? If you're gonna write YA literature, uh, and I think as a genre, uh, it's it's very important. The first thing that you have to be able to do is write real teenagers. Yes. And respect the experience of teenagers. Yes. If you can't do that, then you have no business writing one of these books. I absolutely agree. Because that perspective is the only thing that defines the genre. Otherwise, it could be a book about anything. anything. It just needs to be a book that writes uh, that writes a real teenager and writes them well as a person. Like, that's, as a whole person. That's a, the way that I've tried to, like sell John Green's books to people because I feel like I feel like A Fault in Our Stars being made into a film like helped and hurt mm-hmm. it as as a book because I feel like people saw the trailer and were like, ugh, like who are these young like who are these cancer kids? Like why am I supposed to care about them? Like blah blah Oscar bait and I'm like, no, it's this beautifully written book. Like about these really intricate characters. And, like, yeah, it does, you know, border on teen love melodrama. But, like, when you're a teen, that's how that feels. <laughs> no, it's about, like, Paper, uh, Paper Towns is, is my favorite John Green book. And that protagonist, I remember exactly what romance felt like. And how I thought about it, and everything's so crisp and razor sharp and important. Mm-hmm. Like, really, really desperately important. Mm-hmm. Exactly. One of the best things about reading these books is it reminds you that you still have access to that space. Yeah. Because I don't feel things that crisply yeah. anymore. And and I remember when I did, and it was horrible, but it was also the best thing yeah. ever. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's similar in Looking for Alaska, where it's just like... It's like these kids who had never known the kinds of friendships that they were discovering in the book. You know what I mean? Like, and I lived that. Like, when I started making 
real friends in my late teens for the first time, I was just like, oh, fuck, like, this is what friendship is, you know, like, these are my people. (laughs) And yeah, and it, and, and reading it, uh, like you said, really took me back to that. Yeah, I think that's the thing about YA books is it's not, it has nothing to do with what the book's about or what genre, uh, it would otherwise be a part of. It's, it's emotive. Yeah. It's the way that it feels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and even that with comes those, from that perspective. Yeah, even with the wave of, like, dystopian teen literature. Yeah, and some do it better and some do it worse. Of course, of course. I mean... I haven't read many besides The Hunger Games, but I've... And most of the reason I haven't read many of the others is because I'm told they're just not as well executed as that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really... Uh, I really enjoyed... The Hunger Games, um, a lot of the other series aren't necessarily done yeah. as well. One of the books we considered for, we read... I was just about friends. to ask what other kinds of things you would recommend. Well, the, Gabby won uh, overwhelmingly, and the overwhelming runner-up was uh, uh, E. Lockhart's We Were Liars, which is another thing I would recommend uh, a lot of people take a look at. It's um, it's a beautiful mystery. Cool. Uh, and... The only thing that makes it a YA book is that that's the perspective it's yeah. coming from. It would be a brilliant book in any regard <sighs> either way. That's just how... I think that's just how YA should be written in the first place. You know what I mean? They're just books. It's books just... that, that come from a perspective and have an emotive quality that's yeah. unique. Yeah. Like one of the ones that... Not were, talking down to anyone. No. One of the ones that I really loved, it was called The Story of Owen, Dragon Slayer of Trondheim. That sounds amazing already. <laughs> and it, it is an alt-history book set in basically alt-history modern times. Uh-huh. So it's our era. History has basically been the same as as our history. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, trouble in the Middle East, rising carbon emissions, but there have always been dragons. <laughs> and dragons are predatory, and they're attracted to carbon emissions. So as industry builds up... The uh, dragons start to, like, dragons, feed. Well, they, they attack, like, people in cars. Because your car is, you know, your car is creating a lot of carbon emissions, and it just attracts the dragons. That sounds amazing. And they're just big predators. <laughs> but it, it manages to juggle history and fantasy in a really sort of... It's a huge condemnation of capitalist it sounds culture. Like it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's also... I mean, it's, it's a very... Like, it has a very socialist bent to it, but it doesn't hit you over the head with it. Mm-hmm. And it's not... It does, it does, like, eight things. It does them all well, but it doesn't do all of them too much. Gotcha. It's really clever. I mean, like, the um, the dragon slayers all end up eventually working for the government or major corporations, protecting things like oil fields. That's great. And small towns are just left to fend for themselves oh, or use other people's resources. Yeah. And the main character is a young woman who becomes the bard for the dragon slayer in this small town. Mm-hmm. Named Owen, and it's mostly her story, and oh, she loves cool. music and wanted to be a musician. And she's so very Owen is the town. Talented. It's not even the well. Owen is the name of the dragon slayer. She's a bard. Oh, her name is Owen. What, oh, yes. oh, she's the bard 
for Owen. She's the boy. Got it, yeah. got it, got and, it, got it. That's why it's called the story of Owen because she's more the main she, character. And she she's writes the and she story. writes the yeah, she Sorry. writes the I, like, she writes the book but, in there somewhere. But every time she experiences something, she's constructing a score in her head. Cool. So there's this really interesting like musical aspect. Yeah, like she'll talk oh. about things like minor chords. So cool. And and things God, like this and this amazing. is where like I want to read it. Yeah, like this is where bassoons and timpanis come in. You know, beautiful. And it was lots of fun. I mean, it was my favorite of the ones that yeah. I read. But but just but it's, that's your. You it, know. Well, like, I'm a dork, and it's right. really fun. That's that's your wheelhouse. Yeah, and dorky. Teens would probably fucking eat it. Oh up. yeah, no, yeah. They, they love it. And they would probably enjoy that more than maybe you know Gabby, a girl yeah. in pieces. And though. I've read, you know, I've, I mean, it's not, it's not high fantasy, but it doesn't feel YA. It's not sci-fi. It's this weird mashup. Uh, and why lets you do that? Cool. Because since it's just about a perspective, it doesn't have to be like a western or sci-fi or high I mean, fantasy. One of, something goofy. Yeah, one of my favorite recent, I, th- I think it would probably still be considered YA is The Magicians. Oh, um, Levi Grossman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I mean, it's uh, like critically and, and widely considered to be an adult series, yeah. but I think it's a perfect series to give to a smart kid, yes. and they'd really enjoy it. I mean, I <laughs> I was given The Magicians by my like college um, theater mentor, mm-hmm. who's like one of the biggest reasons I live here. He like he gave it to me as a graduation gift. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, Harry, Harry Potter with college kids. Yeah, it's it's, great. it's it's like a little more grown up Harry Potter, <laughs> but set in a world where like Narnia is real. You yeah. know, like it's well, a lot of it's such a fucking mashup of well, all these different why? things. And I and I think it it needs to be I think it's really important that it's doing this, but I also feel like it needs to be careful to some degree. It's a lot of it's gotten really heavy, especially the yeah. things. I mean, yeah, there's some dark is, shit in the magician. Just uh, there's a real dark shit. Lots of um a lot of the books that that uh, we read and considered, or you know, horrible things happen, and and uh, and it's fairly explicit. And I think that's great because yeah. we've never given teenagers enough credit for not being idiots because they're right. not. Yeah. What are we protecting them from in 2015? Either they've seen and heard everything. Yeah, of course. And there's this weird, weird book that we read uh, called Grasshopper Jungle, and um, and the premise is that the world is ending. Uh, and this kid is horny. Oh God! And it talks about like it, it, like it just it talks about like the yeah. semen is just happening. And, oh God! But it's also this weird dystopian, like these giant grasshoppers are yeah. are destroying the world. And yeah. at the end of the book, the world is just sort of over. Um, and he's having bicurious feelings about like his best friend and uh, and his girlfriend and. And he is horny. Because when you write, I think when you write a book from the perspective of a 16 year old boy, it, one of the things to remember is that horny. they're horny. They are. Like, like <laughs> people forget, like adult men forget. All adults forget what that Was feeling like, is like yeah. to be literally maddened, maddened with no outlet. Yeah. Um, Having no idea what to do. Yeah. Like, if you don't even know how to have a constructive conversation with a woman, these feelings are both unproductive and a burden. <laughs> it's just awful. 
and kids should get to read about that, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's like, yeah, it's awful. Like, that's I, so funny. I hated it. I, I mean, hated it. It was just confusing. It's so funny. There, there's, uh, the Magicians touches on that kind of thing, too. Uh, there's this really, really weird scene in The Magicians where, um, the main character and his, like, love interest, I think it's before anything, like, physically sexual had ever happened between them. They are, like, transformed into foxes and they like kind of have sex as foxes and then when they aren't foxes anymore he's like wait fuck fuck what does that mean like what does that mean he just like fucking loses his shit and it's like it's I mean obviously that's absurd but like so is you know uh, uh, grasshoppers taking over the world you know you you rephrase it in these bizarre contexts to make it you know to give it a frame of reference yeah. that makes it that sneaks it past your exactly, filters. exactly because it could have just as easily been like a weird sex scene between the two of them as adults, or not as adults, but as humans, and uh, and had the same repercussions of like fuck, fuck, what just happened, you know? Yeah. But just what happened? They were foxes at well, the I mean, time. And, like, and, and teenagers <laughs> have sex, and and that stuff happens exactly. all the time, and uh, like, you know. Sex is always great, and adults, you know, adults get blowjobs, but no one, no one gets blowjobs the way teenagers get blowjobs. It doesn't happen. Not yeah. once you're an adult. Not saying it's not yeah. magical, but the, yeah. sex is not magical the way that it once was. Yeah, it's Where, like, like, even having someone in remote proximity yeah. to your genitalia is already blowing like, your mind. Yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. Dane Cook... Uh, say what you will about him, but he has this incredible bit about, uh, his, I think it's his first blowjob, where he, uh, like, by the end of it, oh, oh, the the bit is called Where's the Handle, because he got his first blowjob in a car, or maybe it's just the first time he got his, a mm-hmm. blowjob in a car, and he talks about, like, in his head doing a, like, Bugs Bunny, like, <laughs> celebration as it was all happening, and then after she finishes, the first thing she said to him, because she, like, uh, she, you know, he has finished as well, mm-hmm. and she uh, looks up at him and goes, Where's the handle? <laughs> she can't get the yeah. car door open. Well, because you don't want to spit that on someone's right. floorboard because it's right, weird. right. It's just like this brilliant, like it's. I mean, he's such a like silly physical mm-hmm. comedian, and and like kind of a silly like wordsmith comedian too. Um, uh, that is just like, of course, that's the kind of bit that he would be able to yeah. just nail. You know, I mean, I remember having that experience, and it like the closest thing I've ever been able to think. And it's like, it's like I felt like somebody thrown water on a robot. <laughs> You're just like cartoonishly sparking at one ear, yeah, and yeah. just sort of like, just sort of like, <laughs> just shaking and like, <laughs> I have no idea. I don't even know. But that. And that's the great thing YA can do is it not only it can give a window into dealing with these feelings and experiences for kids, mm-hmm. but it can remind jaded old assholes yes. what it felt like yes. to have those experiences. Yes. And it's great for everybody, you know? And it helps you, you know, I mean, this kind of loop back around to something we talked about earlier. It helps understand and, and like, re-put yourself into those shoes where it's like, oh, yeah. Teens aren't total monsters. They just have no fuck. They're a robot that just got water thrown on them. They have no just, fucking concept just, of what's happening. They're to just them. sparking and losing their minds. They have no idea. We voted on the Eisner Awards for teens too. Oh, like cool! The graphic novel awards and 
Oh, Teenagers yeah. are really lucky right now if they like uh, if they like graphic novels and comic books because the stuff that they're getting is incredible. I'm sure. Like Miss Marvel's obviously amazing. Yeah. We, we, that that was um, one of our notable. Uh, one of our, yeah, one of the one of the really notable books that was high up on the list. Uh-huh. My favorite didn't win, but it was called Beautiful Darkness. Okay, and it's a French book that got. Uh, it's a French graphic novel that got ported uh, to the U.S. <laughs> ported. It's not a console game. Translated. Uh. <laughs> uh. I I just was like, all right, all of a sudden this is a comic thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and it's a beautiful darkness. Beautiful darkness, and it's watercolor. Cool. And the, the, the illustrations are this beautiful, just really specific style, this gorgeous watercolor. It's incredibly twee and really cute while also being really beautiful. Nice. It's, it's like watercolor Wes Anderson about dolls, oh, you know? That sounds awesome. But it is profoundly upsetting in yeah. like the best possible I mean, it's called Beautiful Darkness. How yeah. could it not be? It is profoundly <laughs> upsetting uh, from the get-go. Once once you realize, uh, and it's more or less a series of really upsetting vignettes about these tiny, tiny people. And Interesting. It was amazing. I like things like that. That's yeah. why I like Black Mirror so much. Oh, hell yeah. I want, sometimes I want a piece of media that reminds me that the way that I think about things uh, is less broken and just sort of right. Yeah. Because everything, yeah. everything is terrifying and horrible yeah. and impossible to understand. <laughs> Yeah, Joe and I, uh, Joe Janeiro, past guest of the show, just had a conversation like an hour ago about Black Mirror because it came up during Nerdalog's rehearsal and we had kind of like, we were having a little more laid back rehearsal anyway, uh, just, you know, like a kind of post sketch fest, like, um, uh, unpacking and stuff like that. Um, but we kind of like broke off at some point and we're like, so these are the episodes I like the most. These are the ones I don't really like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's my, it, it's Easily my favorite show of the last five, six years. It's and an incredible I show. It's, it's an achievement. I love Charlie Brooker. If people like Black Mirror, uh, he did a series called How TV Ruined Your Life. Whoa. That is also incredible. It's it's He's a media satirist. I mean, that's what of he course. is. Of course. He would that's have to be for, for that show well, he, to be what it is. He's a huge fan. He does video game reviews. He, does uh-huh. a, he did a show called Games Wipe and a show called News Wipe and a show called Screen Wipe where he just criticizes the various medias. Cool. Uh, and he does a, a, a year end wipe, which is one of my like one of my end of the year traditions. That sounds is to cool. watch Charlie Brooker's take on the year. Yeah. And obviously he's a He's a dark man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. he's a, he's brilliant. Yeah, and he I has was, to be both. I was so happy. Like Black Mirror. I was so happy when Black Mirror came out on uh, finally got put on Netflix because the only person I knew who'd seen it was Andrew Bentley. Yeah, and I can only talk to it so many times with <laughs> right. Andrew over and over. Right, again. right, 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 right. That's so funny. Uh, of course that was your experience. As someone who had already seen this fucking brilliant pocket of, like, television. Like, please, please, please. And when it came out on Netflix, I was like, I can talk about this with anyone now. Yeah. And this, this is, I think, the most important criteria for being a librarian is just really like lots of stuff. That doesn't surprise me at all. Because you just, what you want when someone comes in and asks you, like, oh, I'd like a book on this. What you want immediately is to have a strong response and be like, yeah, look at this. Cool. It's yeah. Great. I mean, uh, I, I feel like what better 
way I feel similarly as a like creative or performer you know of like I just feel like that's the thing that connects us all you know we're, tr- we're all trying to like produce things that make people you know laugh think cry you know emote just generally emote so I, f- I just feel like if you don't have any base for the kinds of things that make you emote like where are you coming at this from you know and and I feel like it would be pretty similar as a librarian. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you if you haven't seen the Christmas special yet, I have. Holy shit! So good. Oh, John Hamm. So good. Woo. Hey guys, out there in podcast world, yeah, please watch the Christmas special. Seriously, watch the whole thing. Oh man, and watch the Christmas special. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's just these two like. The way they combined those two stories was brilliant. So good. It's probably, like, one of my favorite episodes of the whole series. Yeah, I think it, it's probably my... I don't know. It, it might be my second or third. Yep. My, my absolute favorite is the... Uh, um, dystopian reality TV. Oh, really? Saturation. That's so funny, because Joe said... Uh, he had heard a lot of people say that's their favorite. It's called like 15 million merits or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's uh, my it's favorite, uh, and my boyfriend Eric's favorite, uh, is um, the one after that. The I don't know what it's called where you replay, where you can yeah. constantly replay every moment of your life. It's over terrifying. And over with it's, your brain. it's it, it may not be, I don't know if it's necessarily like my favorite in terms of like enjoyment level. But it is the one that most viscerally affected me. Oh, it's, <laughs> like, it's, it, it was uh, devastating. And I've... With one, I've had experiences in my life very much like the ones he sure, was having. Sure, When you set it in this heightened environment, it cuts to this very awful place. Yeah. And it was so yeah. perfect. I mean, that it's such a good example of taking a... Like, one person's experience... Of this one, like, slight, like, change, for the most part, slight changes in in life as we know it, you know? And then just, like, it's very much like an if-then. Like, if this is true, then what else is true? The perfect thing about the show is how plausible it is. Yeah. It's wildly plausible. It's terrifyingly plausible. Exactly, right? (laughs) It's, It's a... It's no hell is scarier than the hell that you think you're already in. Yep. Yeah, everybody watch Black Mirror. Yeah. So, yeah, it, uh, I just, I love that. I love that show it's incredible. so much. It's, it's super amazing. Yeah, you'll need to, like, I mean, I don't, I would say watch it with someone else just because, like. Yeah, I, I watched them. I watched, I was um, unemployed. <laughs> And watched them during a period where a robe was my uniform. <laughs> and I, I, they, they took me way closer to a space that it would have been hard to backpedal from that, yep. I, that I might have liked them to. But yep. that's also why I love them. Yep. That's, yeah. Yep. That doesn't surprise me to hear you say it all. Yeah. If that's like the state you're in when you watched them. Luckily, I watched them with my significant other. Yeah, well, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> who I was able to then, like, unpack them with. Yeah, yeah. And be like, hey, I'm glad things aren't like this, but, like, pretty close to home, right? You well, know? I, would just, I would just shuffle out of my room past Geiger playing video games 
on the way to the bathroom right. and be like, hey, buddy. <laughs> yeah, uh, right, right, right. Everything right. hurts. I'm going to jump in front of a train. Right, right. Uh, well, yeah, we should probably yeah. uh, wrap this up. Um, so, um, is there anything else you feel about libraries that you didn't get to expound upon? Well, I think uh, go back. Yeah. A, a lot of people our age don't really use them the way that they could. I uh, definitely don't. The the populations who really really need us, mm-hmm. they come mm-hmm. because they don't have another option. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a lot to offer, and you know, for the podcast listening demographic, <laughs> that's a group of people that we're really largely missing out on, and sure. and the things that uh, you can get without ever coming in. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to come in to get a card anymore. Go, really? go to shypublive.org, that's C-H-I-P-U-B-L-I-B.org, browse around a little bit, you can get an e-card, which gives you access to the audiobooks. And the ebooks and all the online databases and a lot of the TV and video you can download. Wow. And you can do that without coming in. Huh. So, so go and then maybe if that gets you interested in, uh, you know, having a lot coming of free content to consume, yeah, yeah, yeah. then come see us. Stop right. by the reference desk. And if you have a bad experience, one... Uh, Don't let it turn you <laughs> Please let someone know. You Aww. can... Find the um, the head of neighborhood services, Andrea Telly. You could find her email online or ask someone for it. If you have a really bad experience, complain. It's important to me as someone who works in the library that if you don't feel happy about how you're being treated, that you make a big deal about it. Uh, because those of us who are working really hard to make it pleasant... Don't uh, need that. We need the public to give feedback. Right. And, but you don't need those people who are making the unpleasant. Even more importantly, if you go into a library and someone, you have a lovely time talking to someone and Aww. they're really polite and yeah. you and you get a great recommendation and you read something you might not have otherwise, double for sending that email. Yeah. You know, we, we need feedback. And yeah. uh, so go online, check out our resources, come in and see us. Uh, and if you hate it, let us know. And if you love it, let us know. And mm. if you don't like your branch, uh, go to the one next to you because yeah. there's 80. There's going to be one closer yeah. or one that's by your work as opposed to by yeah, where you I, live. I, yeah, um, I go to a library every day mm-hmm. and I still put all my holds on and pick up all my books at the library in Edgewater. <laughs> That's where I go get all my stuff. It's not where I work. I could have stuff sent there, but I go to my library because I like to see those people. I like the one, um, the one that's closest to me is at like Lincoln and Belmont. Yeah, Lincoln Belmont. It's 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 nice. It's a small space. They have a lovely staff. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're really friendly. I've never had any. I mean, I haven't been there super often, but in the times that I have, it's all been great. how do you feel like your love of libraries has influenced your life, both creatively and in general? You know, at this point in my life, I don't really think there's anything else I could do terribly well. <laughs> and that's not that's not a horrible yeah, thing. I just think I found something of, that really suits me. I was going to say, it's me. kind of an amazing thing because yeah. that's the thing that you're doing. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy it. And they... they they gave me a space when I was little to thrive. Uh, 
a space for a really weird little kid to thrive. Yeah. And now they've given a space to a very weird adult <laughs> so that he can thrive there. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't think that I would make a lot of sense in a lot of other contexts. Yeah. That's really, really beautiful. I really, really, if I could just get paid to be nice to people, I'd do that. <laughs> the library is probably Preach. as close Preach. as it's probably Preach. as close as I can get. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really, really beautiful, Chris. I'm really glad that you chose to talk about this. It's been really lovely and eye-opening for me as someone who has also had a love for libraries, though not nearly as deep as yours, but for, you know, basically my whole life. <laughs> well, it, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's super lovely. It, you know, I always like to see you, Mary Beth. It's the best. I always like to see you, too, and it doesn't happen often enough. I know. But... We're, we're we're working on it. Yeah, we did yeah. this. Yeah, this is now the second time I've seen you in three days. Three days. Brilliant. <laughs> thank you so much, Chris. I love you, and I mean that. Oh, thank you. I love you too. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.